I don't like the look of that hydroeconometer. It seems to be indicating you've got energy feedback all the way through the retro stabilizers feeding back into the primary heat converters. Oh, because if there's one thing you shouldn't have done, you shouldn't have let me press all those buttons. Figures that when we plan a David Tennant retrospective episode, that suddenly Christopher Eccleston comes back into the news. <laughs> I, that is an interesting coincidence, right? Interesting coincidence, but you know what? We're not going to do it. We're not going to nope. fall to the temptation of talking about that news story right now because this is a David Tennant episode. This is our David Tennant episode. That one can wait. We can we can get to that. Some other ideas have been tossed out there, and we will entertain those at some point. But right now, the focus is David Tennant. Yes. So we're not going to talk about the fact that Christopher Eccleston's coming back to Doctor Who. Yeah, or, or some of those deceptive headlines that have been posted that get everybody excited. We're not going to touch those headlines. No, we're not going to talk about that. the fact that it's just an audio drama and doesn't really count. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't go there we're not going to talk about all right that. all right we're not going to talk about it we're not going to talk about it don't bait me but we are going to talk about david Tennant for like a whole episode yes and i mean i think he's like consensus our favorite doctor between the two of us i, th I don't think we disagree on that point no we we don't i mean there might have been some if, if we would have had this conversation two three weeks ago there might have been some hesitation on my part but i am i am firmly in the 10th doctor camp at this point in time nice nice i didn't realize that recently that you were kind of questioning your your loyalties yeah. i mean there there were definitely some episodes that had me wavering uh some nostalgic rewatches got me to consider other things but dang i mean you you really you really cannot get any better than some of the episodes that i just finished watching I agree, and we are going to get into our kind of our David Tennant rankings and all that. But first, sometimes on our podcast, we like to promote other podcasts, and we're going for a doozy today. We are. Because we're going to help promote David Tennant's podcast. Who would have thunk it? And I don't think a lot of people knew, maybe I'm wrong with this, but I feel like I don't hear people talking about the fact that David Tennant has a podcast in the Doctor Who community too often. So I wonder if it's just not known or maybe just people aren't talking about it or I'm not listening to the right people. But I was like, I think it's like the coolest thing ever that one of my favorite actors, because I'll watch him in anything. Like I've proven that. I even watched that one <laughs> vampire movie he was in. But yes, I mean, he's just, he's so cool to listen to. And the fact that he has a podcast and you can actually just listen to him talk to other celebrities is actually really a really, really cool thing. So I don't know if you've like, have you tuned into this podcast? Oh, yeah, I have. Uh, one of the one of the episodes that I listened to just because it was like the pairing of really two of my favorite people, David Tennant being one of them and then James Corden being the other one. Um, that was an incredible episode to listen to. It was from the first season and just hearing them talk about um, theater um, and, and really just, just hearing them go through and both of them, I mean, both of them have been in Dr. Who. So that's another fun, fun connection there. Um, but it is, it is really fun to listen to. Um, especially when, when you put it on in the car, 
um, and your kids are like, wait, isn't that Scrooge McDuck? And it's like, no, <laughs> right? no, it, it's not Scrooge. It's it's David Tennant. It's he's the doctor. He's he's not Scrooge. But yes, um, the voice of Scrooge McDuck in the updated DuckTales show, which my son watches all the time. And when he watches Doctor Who now, he's like, wait, it's Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> yes. But I was like looking through. So I've I've listened to some of his first season. So he uh, so the podcast is called David Tennant does a podcast with. Yes. And he has one season out. And he just started releasing episodes as of today, as we're recording this, um, August 10th. He just released a new episode starting season two uh, with Jim Parsons. So, But I was looking back oh, awesome. through the list of everybody that he talked to in season one. And so for people that haven't, maybe you haven't heard of this podcast or maybe you just haven't had a chance to tune in yet. Like the list of names are very, even as just a Doctor Who fan, just the people that have been in Doctor Who, like you, you mentioned James Corden. Um, he talks to Jodie Whittaker. Yeah, you know, he has an episode where he talks to Jodie Whittaker. Um, Catherine Tate is in it, um, and he also has Olivia Coleman, who was, you know, more worked with him on Broadchurch, but was in an episode of Doctor Who, um, but a, a Matt <laughs> Smith episode. But still, but so yeah, so there's definitely some Doctor Who uh, related. Um, people who are in that that he's interviewed and he also interviewed um we were just talking about him um michael sheen yeah we were just talking about him in in our last episode um who did the voice of house the the planet so right right it just it it's just fun to listen to tenant talk i mean it he comes across and i'm sure it's because in reality is right anytime that we've seen him in anything outside of doctor who um interviews or or um, what have you, a very genuine individual. And so having him engage in these conversations, it's just really fun to step back and be able to listen in on the, the conversation, the questions, the stories that are shared. Um, solid, solid, genuine guy. It, it, one of the guys that I really wish I could meet um, in real life. Yeah, and I did get to meet him, but, you know, it was... <laughs> It was one of those paid photo ops. It was like I, five seconds. But I got a picture. I got a picture from that that it actually has my name on the white piece of paper. So I was very pleased. Super nice guy for those five seconds. And he was more than happy to hold up the sign that said, hi, Adam. So <laughs> that was super cool. But yeah, so you can definitely check out his podcast. Highly recommend. David Tennant does a podcast with. He has new episodes every Tuesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Wherever you find your podcast, pretty much is going to have this. Um, and we're going to actually play a clip from his newest episode where he did an interview with Jim Parsons. So we're going to play a, about an eight minute clip, I think, from that episode. But that episode is actually already live. So you can watch, you can listen to the whole thing if you want to go over to his podcast. But right here on our podcast, we're going to play a quick clip and then we're going to come back and get into our David Tennant episode rankings. Oh, God. You're unable to rejoin this meeting because you were previously removed by the host. Oh, man. I mean, I what read. world do we live in where you can't have a second chance? <laughs> that is brutal in its finality, isn't it? It really is. It's like, sorry. Do you see me? There you are. Thank you. Thank you. We've done it. Hello. Um, I'm very, very touched that you said yes to this. Thank you. 
I'm thrilled uh, to be here. I told you, I started listening once I knew that I was going to do it. Uh, it's wonderful. You somehow set the table for a really nice conversation with people. Wow. That's, there's always a first time for it to go wrong. Well, it's true, and it could be the guest's fault. Hello. <laughs> David Tennant does a podcast with Jim Parsons. I've noticed that in the podcast, I'm always interested to see how somebody's going to say their name. Like yeah. Whoopi Goldberg was very like, I can't even say, but there was an enthusiasm behind it or whatever. There was an exclamation point when she said it. That's true. There was. And I can I can hear it as you say that. But there was also a kind of Whoopi Goldberg. What the fuck? Absolutely. There was a kind of, I am allowed to be here. I do. Yes. It's interesting, isn't it? How we say, our, I never feel particularly comfortable voicing my own name. I don't either. It feels awkward and clumsy in my mind. I could not agree more. And we've had to do it in our profession a lot, like yes. in, a, in a much more formal, repetitively formal way than I think most other occupations would ever understand. Constantly getting in front of a camera saying, Jim Parsons, uh, six foot two, yeah. um, reading for the role of whatever. Yeah, yeah. Or some version of that. Yeah. Slating ourselves, I think we call it. Do you call it yeah. something different there? Uh, we would understand what that meant, certainly. Yeah. What would you say? I don't think we've even got a term for it. Yeah, you're better. You Americans are better at having terms for things like that. So that you is that true? Them. I think it's true. Yeah, we okay. would just go. Oh, just say, say your name. Say your name and give us right. your agent's name. Well, I would prefer that actually. I don't like. I don't like that it's got its own name. To be honest with you, it seems like such an informal silly little thing that it doesn't deserve its own title. That may be true. Did you ever do those auditions where they would make you hold up? They wouldn't even get you to say it. They'd make yeah. you hold up a card yeah. with your name on it, like you were a prisoner um, of war. It, well, but back to our point about having to say your own name, as if you're going to get that wrong in some way. And I don't mispronounce, <laughs> but like give the wrong message. <laughs> yes. Like that's not a good case. Don't trust them. Write it down. But you're right. It is prisoner of war. <laughs> that's amazing. It's not a good look for anyone, is it? No. I don't think. No, but you remember too the old Polaroids. Oh, yes. everything was Polaroids. And yes. In fact, on set it was always Polaroids. Like like costumes and makeup would have like those huge binder rings That's with true. the hole punched through the white part of the Polaroid with like all your different looks, like a Rolodex for every scene. Every scene. The thing I've always wanted, as you see, Polaroids they will have existed on every big. I mean, now it's all done on people's iPhones, but yes. they will have existed on every big movie. Why is there not a massive black market? In Polaroids of Al Pacino in I agree. the film in The Godfather 3. Or, I agree. I, I, I've never understood where they all go. Well, and not only that, but it's not just like, it's not just a behind the scenes look. I would say a majority, and if not a majority, at least 50% of actors are complete jackass goofballs anytime they get a continuity yeah. picture taken. Yeah. And so you get some really sometimes tragic, especially of your own, if you feel that way about yourself, but, but some f real gold from these pictures of people. Like yes. people like Al Pacino or whatever, pulling some facial, like, when would he ever do that? But it's yeah. on set and getting continuity shot. And they're all gathering dust in some I guess. You have to assume they weren't like burned, you know. Yeah. Oh, no, somebody's they got... They were kept. I, you would just think that there'd be a thriving market for that kind of memorabilia. Well, I mean, I don't know that everybody knows outside of our industry, and maybe well, it just hasn't now. occurred to the type of... They do now, you know. We might have opened the floodgates here. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. I don't have that many of me. 
because they transitioned by the time I was doing it. Yes. Well, they, it's, it no longer exists, but I remember it very vividly. One of my first big TV jobs, I remember I did exactly that on every Polaroid. And again, this goes back to one's own, <laughs> one's own sense of self, one's own um, feeling that you have a right to be there. On every Polaroid, I felt the need to sort of pull some goofy face or lark yeah. about and until about a month in, the makeup designer, who was quite a stern lady, went, "This, I am a professional doing my job, and you are no. not allowing me to do my job." Stop. And I got really, really properly told off. Yeah, <gasps> and it, I, I've never I heard suddenly that. felt like a five-year-old schoolboy, and and ever since. Oh, I'm sure you really, did. Oh, I was gutted. I don't, I don't respond well to being scolded. No. How does it make you go? Does it make you punch mm. back, or does it make you wither? Uh, no, I mean, much later, like going over it in bed at night going, God, I wish I'd have said like, you know what? Yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah, trying yeah. to make the world a better place. How, sure. you know. But at the time? At the time, no, I, I just want to crawl away. I just, yeah. uh, I don't, I don't, I, I think I know that I have a fear of authority. Mm. That's a real thing. I mean, mm. I'm conscious of it, so I try not to let it get in my way. But in all honesty, I mean, that's what that stems from. To take of this course. serious with the, wow, with your makeup deep. story, we've gone but, deep but, fast. but it's true. I know that's what it's about. It's like yeah. I because I would agree with her to a degree. You are a professional. Yes, she was right. That's why I you withered. are. You are the authority in this moment, and so mm-hmm. I'm kind of having as much fun with it as I can because I I don't know. I I'll st- I stop everything I'm doing to let her do whatever she needs to do to get her picture or whatever, and you're in her hands. And then mm. to f- to find that you've misbehaved in that moment, uh, that awful. It's bad feeling. And it, and it was the first time I'd had like a like a like a, a decent role in a big TV show. No, I was oh, like, I was like number three. I thought, oh, this is no, this is fine. I can do this. Yeah. I'm like, sure, sure, I can go around. And in that moment, it was like, no, you not only. Do you get this wrong? You don't deserve to be here. Go back to Paisley. Yeah. All that. All that. How old were you? Oh, 30. Yeah. 30, early 30s. So you and I both, I guess, then were later in being in the kind of work that you would be recognized for or working with honest to God, constant professionals all the time, not not kind of rotating in and out of, I do a commercial here and there and then yeah. I'm back in the garage doing whatever, which is fine. Yeah. I don't, I yeah. had a great time doing that, but yeah. Yes, probably actually not dissimilar. What age were you when Big Bang Theory happened? When Big Bang started, I was 33. Right, okay. I was probably about 33. That's the story I'm telling yeah. was probably about, it was a show called Blackpool, which was kind of the first time I was in a kind of leading role on the TV, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, yeah. I considered that, I still consider that's been a real blessing for me that it, my trajectory happened the way it did. That, that it didn't happen to you when you were 18? Time-wise, yeah. yes. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to handle it, no. for one thing. No, I was a I was a late bloomer in some ways. Not that I was ever irresponsible to the, well, I mean, sure, I mean, but, you know, I, like I wasn't a tragic case or whatever, but uh, but I wouldn't have known how to compute all this kind of stuff at all. Right. Even just being on set in, in that kind of pressured environment, or I would have made it very pressured for myself. I know I would have. All right. So that was, uh, yeah, that was a pretty cool clip, some fun information in there, and I'm looking forward to kind of heading over to um, Apple Podcasts and downloading that full episode and listening to the whole interview.
Yeah, time to uh, time to give it a listen myself. So, sticking to the David Tennant theme, we are gonna be we're gonna do the hard task. We've talked. We have been stressing about this. Oh my goodness! Because we yes, decided we when we kind of we were you know we agreed to help promote his podcast, and we thought it'd be a cool opportunity to just do this full on David Tennant kind of retrospective episode of Bad Wolf Radio. And we thought, oh yeah, most of our listeners like it when we rank stuff. We have a couple that don't, but most of our listeners do. So we thought it'd be fun to try and rank five, just five, our top five favorite David Tennant episodes of Doctor Who. Yeah, I mean, how hard can it be? They're David Tennant episodes. They're they're usually really enjoyable to sit down and watch. And it all sounded like a solid plan. Uh, as we kind of just threw it out there, discussed it, agreed that this is what we we're going to do. Until you take a look at how long David Tennant really did Doctor Who. It didn't seem like that long as I was watching through it, right? When you Time flies when you're having fun. But when you realize that there are 47, give or take, episodes that David Tennant was the Doctor in, it's a little overwhelming. Yeah, definitely. And... I kind of like so I quick went through just all I went to HBO Max who are not sponsors of this podcast but that's just where the Doctor Who episodes are so that's where why we talk about it so much and I went to HBO Max and they really have it like organized really well so it's kind of just scrolling through and just taking notes of like okay what just off the top of my head one of my favorites yeah and that was kind of like the way I figured I'd do it and I thought I'd be able to easily pick kind of my top five but then I quickly realized that I had you know, maybe 12 episodes that were kind of in the running to be in my top five and to narrow it down felt near impossible. Um, oh. And it took me to rewatch, to confirm, to be like, okay, I need to watch this one, make sure I like it as much as I thought I did. So it was, it was, it was like, I think we bit off a little more than we we could chew or maybe more than we expected to have to chew. Oh, absolutely. It was, it, it's anxiety inducing I mean, I, I approached it the same way that I approach most other things in life, and I created a spreadsheet. Um, and I went through, and my first criteria was, do you remember the episode? Mm. And as I went through, it was like, oh, dang. I remember a good bit of these, at, at least like aspects of them that really drew my attention. And then it was like, okay, now, which of these really have the potential to be in the top five? Again, it was like, oh, crap vast majority of these I could see myself wanting to pull them in and then my next category was rewatch and it was like how in the world am I going to rewatch like 30 plus episodes out of the 47 in such a short period of time um so then it became a little bit more haphazard as I jumped from episode to episode that I really thought had potential um and up until the last couple of minutes I've been in panic mode trying to narrow things down <laughs> I think for me, it's kind of like the top five. If you haven't already rewatched that episode a number of times because you enjoy it so much, then it probably shouldn't be in your top five. You know, if you come across an episode, you're like, oh, I haven't seen this one in a while. I should watch it. It's like there's a reason why you haven't come back to that one in a while. So it helped me eliminate a lot where it was kind of like the regulars, the ones that are in my kind of regular rotation that I like to pop on when, I, when I'm looking for a David Tennant episode. Those are the ones that kind of we're the finalists and we're going to go through our top five, but we're also going to do some honorable mentions just because it'd be impossible not to talk about some more episodes than just the top five. And 
And we didn't compare lists at all. Like I tried, I tried to get Adam to kind of tease me a little bit and he wouldn't tell me anything. So we don't even know each other's top five. We don't know if they're the same or vastly different. Uh, so it's going to be fun to kind of <laughs> stumble through this process. Uh, but we get to talk about David Tennant era Doctor Who, which is going to be really fun. Yep, absolutely. I'm I'm really curious to see where we end up. And in regards to your, like, if you've rewatched it multiple times already, it's probably in the running. I I have a tendency tendency to rewatch the strange um, episodes, and I think that was one of my biggest issues. Is because as I took a look at the list, it's like, wow, I've watched that episode a lot. But really, does it deserve to be in the top five episodes for Doctor or for uh, David Tennant? So I I had a lot of uh, uh, questioning of myself and my watching habits over the past year. Couple. All of right, years. all right. Well, it feels like you might have thought a little bit too hard about this one, but we'll see. Not possible. We'll see what Not. you landed on. I'm curious. I'm so curious. So I think we should start with our number five each. We'll each okay. go. Okay. In turn, and then we'll go through five to one, and then we'll cover our honorable mentions at the end. Does that sound good? And we'll kind of yeah. gauge by how much time we have left on how many honorable mentions we, we get deep into. Okay, so are we just going five to one, just naming them off, or are, am I saying five and then you're saying five? I think it would be fun. Hmm. I think it would be fun to kind of take them one at a time. Okay, okay. So you Slow give me your, your like fifth one. And I'll give you my fifth one, and then we'll kind of discuss those two episodes a little bit. Okay, okay. Uh, but we're not going to do full reviews of all, obviously, we don't have time to go into full reviews, but just kind of the highlights of what, why we picked it, where we picked it, that kind of thing, and then we'll see uh, where we might overlap. Okay, well, my fifth episode of my top five, uh, I'm starting with The Fires of Pompeii. The Fires of Pompeii at number five. At number five. Yes, I know. That's interesting. I, I, because I, think I didn't I envisioned think... where it was for you. Well, I didn't think this one was going to make your list. Oh, I don't know why. So, um, so, yeah. So, my number five episode, Only the only reason I'm saying it now is because you just said it, is The Fires of Pompeii. Oh really? It's so, that low. That's yeah. surprising. Um, and, and this was this was a it was kind of hard to decide where. Once I got to the top five, it was actually really hard to decide kind of where each one fell in that five. I really it felt like I could move them around, and even at the last minute I was kind of moving some around. So Fires of Pompeii kind of was at the four to five level, but it it did drop to five right before we started recording. So. So wow, we're we're not even barely into this, and we're already overlapping. <laughs> we're we're already we're already in agreement, and this is going to be a really easy one to talk about. Yeah, it will be. And so for me, I, I will say a couple of the things that why this one stand out to me, and then we can and then you can see if you agree with me. But I really like some of the fun connections to the future of Doctor Who in this one. The fact that Karen Gillan appears in this episode. The fact that Peter Capaldi plays a big role in this episode. The fact that this episode, because Peter Capaldi was in this episode and he's a future doctor, there's kind of that reference back to his face. I just, those kind of things I love. And so that part of it, and then also the story part of it, I really like stuff that goes back in time. Everybody knows this about me. Yep. And, you know, historical events and stuff like that. 
And I also just really like the dynamic between um, Donna and the Doctor in this one and the kind of choice he has to make at the end. So that's kind of all of that is really what rose this one into my top five. Yeah, and I would I would agree with a lot of what you said. Those were the aspects that stuck out to me. Um, I do think it's interesting because this is, I mean, in, in her run as a companion, it's the second episode for Donna. Um, it's the third episode that she appears in, though. But just that that developing relationship and how dramatically different she was as a companion so early on in her run, like it, it makes this episode stick out. And now I haven't always been a huge fan of Donna Noble as a character. Um, but there was something about going back and rewatching this once again, probably mixing in a lot of the other companions as I did rewatches that it just sets that, that this apart. But then I think the, the high point of this episode is when you get to, towards the end and it is that whole, um, doctor's choice that has to be made. Donna's response to the doctor's choice. Um, the idea of, fixed points in time. I mean, how much, how many other times does that get tossed out? And yet the doctor's saying, because he's a time Lord, he sees those fixed points. That's, that's the burden that he carries. And then even that, that, um, interesting aspect of the doctor is the cause of Pompeii, Pompeii going off. If the doctor wouldn't have intervened, Pompeii would have never exploded, but the world would have been totally different because, um, (laughs) <laughs> the the bad in this episode would have taken over the world. It's such a, I think that end part of it, for me, the episode is kind of slow until you get within the last 10, 15 minutes of it where things really do start picking up and so much of what is good about Doctor Who comes to the surface. Right, and I didn't love the villains in this one. Um, kind of that that story wasn't the best part. It was the- Oh, yeah. You know, the other things that I kind of mentioned and the formula of like a perfect Doctor Who episode, this one hits on most of it, but there's a couple missing pieces that didn't, you know, elevate this one kind of into like a top three range. But overall, I just thought that that end, that ending is so powerful and it does set kind of that, that tone for the dynamic between a companion and the doctor and sometimes where the companion is kind of needed to be like to so the doctor will show more compassion than maybe the doctor would show otherwise and literally having donna beg for the lives of that family and i just watched it today this and i it's really it's a really emotional part of the episode and i love it when a doctor who episode can pull can evoke some sort of emotion out of me and so like when i'm watching that when i'm watching donna kind of begging for the lives of this family, I was like, it kind of, you know, it gets to you. It's like, wow, like this is really, it's those moments when Doctor Who gets really serious. um, And I like that. Yeah. Especially when, I mean, in the whole general context of (laughs) Donna's arc, like she was super excited to jump on the TARDIS. She was super excited to travel. She had been looking for, she had been waiting for the doctor. And then for really her first adventure out to be struck with such a huge, huge thing um, where she herself puts her hands with the doctors and pushes down on the lever um, that really causes the explosion of Vesuvius. It is it is a a good character aspect of the story at the end. Um, yeah, I 
I actually, I mean, that's why it made its way to the top five is just that, that tension that you feel that you experience those emotions, the emotions that it elicits at the end, really solid. All right. So that one kind of, that worked out because we both had the same thing. So we could kind of discuss the same episode. So that's good. So I should go. I should go first on the yeah, on number four. Yeah, you you get you get number four. Just go. so just so our fa- listeners don't think that I'm just copying whatever you say. <laughs> so, yeah. So, all right. So my number four, and I'm like literally still like debating in my head if this should be my number four, but I'm gonna go with it. Is the Christmas Invasion? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this one almost didn't make my top five. I had it in my honorable mentions, but I rewatched it today just to be sure. And I forgot about some stuff and I forgot about how cool the introduction of David Tennant as the doctor was. It is a cool introduction. Yeah. And then you have the Harriet Jones. Yep. Harriet Jones. You have the Sycorax. I think that's yep. how you say it. You have the, his hand getting cut off and then it regrows cause he's still within the first 15 hours of re- his regeneration cycle. <laughs> and he says this is a fighting hand <laughs> yep <laughs> there's a lion king reference in it um and he's and he gets dark and that's that's something about david tennant that i think over time i had kind of forgotten you know if, you know moving on to the other doctors and their different personalities but i forgot how dark david tennant could get you know where he'd yeah. just be ruthless like he'd let people die or kill people um in pretty dark ways and this was, you know, this was no exception where he defeats the the leader of the Sycorax, initially shows mercy, and then the guy kind of tries to get, you know, come up from behind and he throws that orange at the button <laughs> and the guy falls to his death and, he, and then the doctor says, that's the sort of man I am. And I was just like, yeah, <laughs> I like yeah. it. I like it when the doctor gets a little dark. So, so yeah, I liked it. I mean, that once again, this doesn't hit all the kind of all the the things needed for a perfect Doctor Who episode but because there is you know the some cheesiness with um you know kind of Rose's family and stuff but overall this one was really really cool and just the introduction of of David Tennant I think is really huge yeah I I agree um but I went somewhere different um so my my number four uh the Family of Blood. Do you remember this one? Oh, absolutely remember this one. Okay, cool. So the 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 episode with the fob watch and uh, the doctor becomes John Smith and Martha is now the maid in the 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 house. He's a teacher at the school. Doctor doesn't know he's the doctor. You have the the family coming out of. Um, well, really the sky, but they've been searching for him and mm-hmm. all that other stuff. It, to me, I surprised myself because I did not expect to enjoy the story arc as much as I did, but there's something about just the uniqueness of this episode. Um, and you have Martha who in this episode, really strong companion. Um, you have the tension of all the relationships going on. Um, you have the creepiness of the bads, um, but just, as you get to the end of this episode and you have the emotion once again of tenant who just, he, he displays such range throughout this episode 
of not wanting to be the doctor, um, wanting to stay as John Smith and, and have the relationship with Joan, the nurse and all that other stuff. There's just something about this episode that struck me, um, differently than the first time, the second time that I've watched it. Um, and, and similar to what you mentioned, as far as the doctor going dark, you have the the boy who finds the fob watch during the episode Latimer and he like carries it around with them and he says that he didn't give it back because he was scared of the doctor. Um, but you get to see how dark the doctor gets because towards the end, Baines, the one of the family, um, the son who, well, he's really possessed. He goes through like all the ways that the doctor disposed of his family. And I didn't realize how dark and just somewhat troubling that is as he talks about how his dad was wrapped in chains. His mom was thrown into a vortex, like all of these things that the doctor does. Um, but ultimately like who the doctor is, is what separates him from the rest of the characters in the show. Such a, to me, it was surprising, um, how much I enjoyed this episode and really, um, how quickly it sucked me in from part one to part two. To me, part two is definitely stronger because you have the resolution of the story, but yeah, I, I liked it. I really liked it. One of the few times you see the doctor using a firearm. Yeah, and he never fires it. Oh, doesn't he? I couldn't remember if he did. No, I know he's he holds on the, it. Like everyone else around him is, but he never does, right? Yeah, and that's that's one of the things about the episode is how different of a character he is when he's not the doctor. And some of those things are called out in regards to like he's having the boys of the school fight on his behalf. And it's like the doctor wouldn't do that. The doctor would solve that, solve the issue himself. But he stands there with a firearm, never fires it as all the boys are firing at the scarecrows for him, which those scarecrows legitimately freaky. Well, one thing about this episode, when I'm talking about, you know, kind of the different ingredients that I think make a really good Doctor Who episode is an actual scary villain, because I think oh, that's absolutely. one of the areas that Doctor Who, you know, it can really be hit or miss. You know, you get into an episode and maybe if it's intended to be scary, but it just doesn't quite work. Yeah. Or it's just intentionally not scary. You know, there's certain right. episodes where it's just silly. But every once in a while, they really nail it. And I thought not only the Scarecrows, but also the family. Oh, absolutely. Because the family, they were just basically completely emotionless as far as having any kind of empathy. And they were just killing people on a whim. So, and not only, they were disintegrating people. Yeah. Yeah. So it was an instant death. Um, and some major characters that you kind of get, you know, not necessarily the main characters, but like some of the side characters that play a bigger role get yeah. taken out. And it it really raises the stakes. But then, you, yeah, you have the Scarecrow army, which on top of the scary family, you have the secondary villain that is also terrifying, um, yep. like thing of nightmares. And they really nailed it with the costuming on those. Yeah, um, and... Yeah. Special shout out to the guy who played Baines. I don't have his name in yeah. front of me, but just like how messed up he becomes the further the episode goes in. And like it's somewhat comical, but it's also very disturbing every time he's like, Headmaster, sir, good evening, sir. Come come to give us a caning, sir. Would you <laughs> like that, sir? Like just his over the top. It was incredible. It's a solid episode. Oh, absolutely. And we had talked kind of as we were deciding how we're going to do these rankings that anyone that was kind of a two-parter or multi-parter that we weren't, we weren't going to, you know, use that up. So right. even though this is, you're, you're saying family of blood, right? That's the one you're picking, but it's yes. also connected to human nature. Correct. Um, but yeah, I see. So 
just so we're making it clear for the for the listeners that they're not like well that's two episodes it doesn't count um we know i'm just choosing one just yeah. choosing one so family of blood good pick Thank um you, sir. i feel like there's more we could talk about on that one but maybe we'll save that for later yeah yeah um what's Let's your we'll let you go first this time okay number three i'm going with the shakespeare code oh nice that's a good is, one is that oh. too much of a homer pick i just again re-watching the episode um the interaction between shakespeare and the doctor i mean can you get any better than the banter back and forth where the doctor will say something and shakespeare's like i'm taking that um it i mean yeah the i mean the witches they were they were okay mm-hmm. they weren't too too hokey um the drowning of the guy in the on the street without any water around that was pretty well done i mean i don't have a clue how that guy was spouting water like he was um but it is to me it is a solid episode overall um you had some good emotion thrown in there um that that mystery of love loves labor one what has happened to it where did it go you have the fun aspect at the end where the doctor's running from the queen um yeah i mean solid episode i'll leave it at that uh what's your what's your number three i'm a big fan of shakespeare code by the way i know you are i know you are but it's not my number three so my number three is going to be silence in the library Silence in the library, and part of the reason why. There's a couple reasons, but River Song. I know. I just love River Song, and I love the fact that she became this character that just has been used throughout. And I don't know that they've always used her great. There's there's been right. some some uses of her, some episodes that I was kind of like, eh, whatever. But just the fact that she has um, been a major part, you know, with these episodes with Tennant, but she also was even bigger with Smith. And then she even got some time with Capaldi and then they tied it all together. You know, some of the the different things that were mentioned in this episode happen in other episodes in the future and all the way down to, you know, kind of the, the final, you know, time that she has with Capaldi before she meets tenant, you know, so it's all timey wimey. Um, so that, that alone probably would have put this one in my top three, but then, you have on top of it, you do have another really legit scary villain. Yeah, you do. Like, yep. uh, like the this you know what was it? Vashta Narati is that how you say it? Vashta Narada. Yeah. That literally just like disintegrates flesh, mm-hmm. but it's like the shadows, you know. Yes. And he, it's another one of those kind of things where it's like when you see the dust and the light, you know, that's that's them, you know, kind of thing, and. He's telling Donna that they're actually on Earth. You know, she's like, they're not on Earth, right? And he's like, no, they are. They usually just eat roadkill. But every once in a while, there's somebody that doesn't come back from the dark. <laughs> you know, it's just like, holy cow. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Silence in the Library, um, which, you know, obviously goes along with Forest of the Dead. But that one is my third. And that is such a solid one. Um, cool. Cool. We're number two now? Number two. Go for it. All right. My number two is the family of blood. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought so. you had quite a bit to say about it. Yeah, I figured. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that's so. It's so good. It's such a solid two-parter, um, and and to see the doctor, to see David Tennant play two different characters. Yeah. The doctor and also Smith. 
and how vastly different those characters were. And to see, I love the dynamic of the doctor forgetting who he is and kind of being a human and then dealing with human emotions and that fear that comes along with, you know, at the, at the end where he essentially is like, I don't, you know, why do I want to be the doctor? Like they're, they're saying like, Oh, you know, we need the doctor. The doctor's so great. And he's like, I'm me, you know, right. If yeah. you want, you're telling me that you want me to die. So this other person that I've never even heard of can come back. Um, so he's really struggling with that. And I just loved watching all of that. I felt like it was really powerful. Plus once again, this ties in to other things that happen in the future, you know? Oh yeah. With... And that, that was one thing that stuck out to me is that I, I didn't remember the specifics about this episode as well as what I thought I did, but jumping ahead to where we have Ruth's doctor now, mm-hmm. Yep. there's so many solid parallels between how the 10th doctor experienced the, the forgetfulness of who you are um, to how Ruth's doctor experienced the exact same thing. Um, the, the denial that what you see happening is really you or that you even want it to be you. Um, such an interesting story aspect that they then pulled, which again, it shows up in utopia, um, mm-hmm. with yeah. the master, but more with Ruth's doctor as well. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's such a huge part of what we're watching in current doctor who that this is, I think, really important episodes for people to go back and watch if you haven't seen them in a while. Um, you know, and then obviously the master, you know, kind of something, uh, like you said, with Utopia, that's when the master's revealed. So it's definitely a tool that they've used before with, you know, Time Lords kind of, you know, hiding themselves. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought these were really solid episodes all around the, you know, this two-parter in the villains that they had in it, the actors that they picked to play the parts, yep. the fact that they, you know, tied it in with future Doctor Who stuff, but also with like the time, like stuff that was happening at the time with World War One, yeah, and uh, all of it. It just like it's really like had all the pieces that for me make a really solid Doctor Who episode. Yep, I I'm really surprised <laughs> that you had it on your list. I really am. I don't know why. Um, but I mean, I it's a it, it's a go back in time episode. You know, it is a go back in time episode. But for some reason, this episode I feel like is I, I don't know. I don't feel like it gets the credit or the this two parter doesn't get the credit it's due. Right? Like well, it definitely I don't got hear a lot of fans talking about this on a regular basis. It got a, a, a like kind of a shout out in the lockdown stuff. Yeah, it um, did with the yeah. girl in the mirror. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I think you're cool. number two now. Yeah, my number two. Um, I'm going with tooth and claw. Ah, it is one that I have routinely returned to time and time and time again. Um, a fun historical episode, one where they take the supernatural and they make it science fiction. Um, they turn it into something that's other than mystical, magical, um, and now becomes science and aliens, which is fun to me. Um, and, Rewatching this episode once again, to me, this is like the best of the doctor and Rose's relationship and how they are as the doctor and companion. Um, the way that they play off of each other, the, the humor that goes throughout the entire thing. Um, Rose as a companion who is super strong in her own right. Um, but yet not in a way that it is 
I don't know, not in competition with the doctor, right? They, they aren't trying to outdo each other. They're, they're working alongside of each other. Um, but the humor of always trying to get Queen Victoria to say that she's not amused um, and kind of the, the bet that they have going along with each other. You have Tennant using a Scottish accent, um, his original, his real life accent, um, and um, calling her a Timorous beastie. And it's, it is a fun episode. And yet there's also like the frightening aspects of it with these strange monks, um, the 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 wolf man, the werewolf that comes to life and kind of a in a creepy way because it's somewhat cultish in how it happens. Um, yeah, it's this episode, no matter how many times I watch it, it's still it rings true. It's a fun episode. Oh, and then you have the development of Torchwood that comes out as a result. Right. Torchwood yeah. Estate. Um, yeah, that's my, that's my number two. Um, one of the top David Tennant episodes in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big one. And the, the banter between, like you were saying, the doctor and Rose and that one, it's almost like juvenile, but it's really early kind of in there, um, getting to know each other. So I I feel like they're kind of starting to, they're feeling each other out and Rose still hasn't, it's almost like she at this point hasn't quite taken things too seriously yet yeah she still thinks this is kind of this fun adventure and you know she's goofing off a little bit and it almost annoyed me kind of her being (laughs) disrespectful to the queen and stuff i don't know if that's just me like my old man kind of mentality where it's just like disrespectful teenager you know but there was parts of time like oh rose why you're being kind of uh you're kind of rude right now you're being rude you know this is serious see i absolutely loved it and to me it's there's something about Tenant with Rose that you then after watching episodes of Tenant with Rose you understand his approach to Martha and Donna so much better when you get to those episodes because in those episodes it's so much about like the loss and it's so much about like the the piece of him that's missing because Rose is now gone and so like watching how watching their relationship in some of these episodes, it just emphasized some of those weird aspects or those, those painful aspects that you see in tenant when it gets to the Shakespeare code, when he's like, they're laying in the bed next to each other. And he's like, well, Rose would have Rose would have thought of something, but Hey, you're still new. Um, (laughs) or when he, he first meets Donna and she's like, Hey, have you found Rose yet? And he's like, no, she's, she's still gone. Um, it just like some of these moments of loss, they just feel so much, more uh there's more depth to them after watching an episode like tooth and claw where you just see this fun playful banter that even in the midst of life threatening experiences they're jumping around the library together being like but seriously there's a werewolf and they're just excited about that um and you get this sweet line about who needs who needs weapons we we're in a library um books are like the greatest arsenal or whatever he says um solid line but yeah and some you know, legit danger with the werewolf. And, um, once again, characters that you kind of got introduced to dying. Yeah. Tragically. Yeah. Um, and the doc, it revealed, I remember kind of watching through a few of these episodes and reminding, being reminded of the fact that David Tennant, the way he would treat companions was a little bit different than what we got used to with Smith and Capaldi. And even, um, even with Whitaker in that he, he almost treats them a little bit more disposable because he's really quick to replace them and really quick to offer other people 
you know, he still had Rose as a companion when he tried to get, and maybe we'll talk about this depending on rankings, but Madame Pompadour, you know? Yeah, yep. He tried to bring her on, but he still had Rose. He tried to bring um, this woman he met when he was a teacher. He tried to bring her on as a companion, but he still had Martha. You know, it was just like, he. it's almost like to him, it this it, for whatever reason during this regeneration, um, he didn't he did seem a little bit more disposable. But I think over time he did develop a relationship with Rose that was different than it than what he had with anyone else either. And that's a longer conversation for another podcast. But yeah, so yeah, that that was a good one. Good 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 pick, Tooth and Claw. Cool. Number two for you. I gave my number two, and then you gave oh. your number two, which means I think you have to give your number one. You're right. I do have to give my number one. Well, probably comes as no surprise, but number one is the girl in the fireplace. Uh, um, I, I spoke a little too soon talking about Madame Pompadour. Oh my goodness, dude. I'm telling you what. To me, the girl in the fireplace is David Tennant's um, Van Gogh. Like it, the, it, it, it strikes the same chord in my heart where such a... I don't know, emotionally deep episode. You you already mentioned it when like an episode can elicit emotion from you. I cannot watch this episode with a dry eye. Like I get choked up every single time I watch this episode because it it seems like legit. Like there's something different about how the doctor approaches um Renette in this episode that it's like it's it's different from how he approaches any other character. And it's it's turned. It it, it it goes both ways. Um, her comments about him being lonely. Um, once a door opened, you can walk both ways. Um, him being so lonely and such a lonely little boy and, and their relationship um, throughout is, I don't know, it's really interesting. And then the loss at the end. Um, it's huge. It really is. Um, and not to mention you have the dynamics of of Mickey and Rose thrown in there. You have another great and and freaky bad being the clockwork men. Um, those masks are still some of the best masks ever. They're solid masks. Um, but yeah, it's by far, by far, it is one of my favorite episodes, not only of Tenant, but just in all of Doctor Who. And some of the, some of the best Rose Mickey dynamic we probably get in the whole series yeah, um, because this is before Rose got tired of Mickey, and just <laughs> left him behind. Poor Mickey. When they grab the fire extinguishers and they run throughout the the, the ship together, and um, yeah, and then you you have that that experience of her watching the Doctor, where it's like she is already attached to the Doctor as a Doctor. It's the fourth episode of Tenant season. Um, she's attached to him, and she's watching him chase Renette, and like her counsel counseling Renette at, at the time of like, is the doctor, the doctor is worth the monsters, right? Um, yeah. Such a good episode. So such a good episode. Did you get any like Amy Pond vibes while you're watching it? Not really. So the reason I say that is because, you know, really the big storyline with Amy, you know, when they first introduce Amy with Matt Smith, is he goes there, she's young, right. he says he's going to come back, he doesn't come back until later and she's an adult. And he comes back, you know, he comes back at the wrong time. 
And it feels like this whole, that whole episode, the girl in the fireplace is kind of the same concept, just a different, it was like if Amy Pond was, was in you know, in France, you know, instead <laughs> of England, like it just, it's, it seemed like a very similar concept. Whereas girl in the fireplace, it was one episode. Amy Pond was, you know, seasons. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think the difference though is, or a huge difference is the character of the doctor right? Like the way that Smith approaches Amy is totally different than the way that Tennant approaches Madame de Pompadour. The, the, like some of the facial expressions Tennant has throughout the episode. Um, and he's willing to sacrifice everything to close off the door to the ship, to save Renette, to, to ensure that everything's okay. And then her leading him back to the fireplace, um, and like him getting so excited that he like goes in and then the look of panic on his face as the fireplace starts to turn around um, when he says, wish me luck. And she says, no, um, oh, it's such a good episode. Also, having just watched the doctor's wife, I always think about now when the TARDIS takes him to the wrong time or place, you think it's probably intentional. And the doctor, you know, the TARDIS who loves the doctor is like, I'm not bringing you back to, you know, be with this woman. <laughs> like, no way. Like, I'm going to bring you back after she's dead. Uh, like you think about that. Like the TARDIS has a consciousness now, now that we know it and, you know, is in somewhat control of when the doctor gets to where he's going. Yeah. I just, oh, that episode. So good. Am I so cheapening good. the episode for you? Cause I'm not, no, not at all. Not at all. Because the TARDIS is not responsible in that episode. So there, <laughs> <laughs> it's the the time windows throughout the Madame de Pompadour show. Oh, that's true. That that's true. Open. Good point. Yeah. Good point. It's not the TARDIS that that brings it back at the wrong time. Sure. True, it's all. True. It's all. Oh, um, man. So good. Okay, you're number one. So, well, um, I I wasn't surprised to see the girl in the fireplace on your list. I knew you liked it. I was. I'm surprised it's number one. I am surprised it's number one, and I'm surprised that the one that's my number one isn't in your top five. There's there's no episode better. And I'm willing to fight for it. All right. It may be made my honorable mentions. We'll see. So my number one is the end of time part two. Okay. So I feel like for me, I, you know, I, I included the Christmas invasion in this, in this list. And that's the introduction of David Tennant and the end of time part two is, is the goodbye. And I think those are just two such key moments in his run as the doctor, I felt like I had to include them both. And I don't necessarily love all of the content in the end of time part two. And even the kind of the stories that led up to how he left, but I, man, do I love like the last 20 minutes. Um, everything from him, you know, Wilfred getting trapped in the radiation chamber (laughs) and the four knocks and him just pissed. The doctor is just ticked that he has to save this guy you know, and give up his life and all the potential that he has in that form. And just to see that struggle where he's like, do I save this person who really in the grand scheme of things probably doesn't matter and, you know, give up my life or do I let him die? But the doctor can't, the doctor cannot let someone die, you know? And then it's, he's so torn. It's almost like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth, you know, yeah. where he's saying, he's saying all these mean things yep. to Wilfred, but he goes and when he lets him out, he says, it's my honor. So it's like, well, which one is it? You know, you just trash right, the guy, right. but then you say it's your honor. And then he, you know, he, 
you know, dies of the radiation, starts to regenerate, does his farewell tour, all of that. Just like some of my favorite Doctor Who across all of Doctor Who is in these like 20 minutes. So I couldn't not, even though I don't necessarily love the whole episode, I couldn't not include this one or even put it as my number one just because I felt like that's so powerful. And I love the the scene where he he sees Rose, um, you know, on New Year's Day. Yeah kind of and tells her what year is this it's 2005 he's like i I think you're gonna have a good year you know just that's (laughs) really good good stuff i just uh, and that's where that's where the more that i tried to think through the list of episodes the more it's like you you cannot go wrong in so many different ways does that make sense like there's so many good episodes in my opinion for david tennant's run because it stretches for so dang long that you could you could just literally throw a dart at an episode list five times and hit five really solid episodes. Um, yeah, that's a that's a good one. And like you said, like how can you not coming from someone who didn't, but how can you not include the end of time and your top five list? It is that moment where he is stuck in the radiation chamber. It is a it is memorable, right? It, it goes down. Um, it, it sticks with you. So, and he says, "I don't want to go," which is like I don't want to go. Iconic line uh, yes. from the doctor, and you get a you get a little taste of Matt Smith at the end too. So I don't. I, yep. I feel like you you drop the ball on this one, man. Nope. How is this not? In I the have top my five? reasons. All right. I have right. my reasons. I won't question it. Um. So real quick before we move on to our honorable mentions, did we did we both include episodes from every companion? Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Well-rounded. Well-rounded. Um, and uh, did you? Did do you, know? you? You do you have a Rose episode? Christmas Invasion. Christmas Invasion. Okay, it. the very first one. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. You hit them all. I hit them all as well. Um. So fun fact. Your three of the ones that are in your top five, that are not in my top five, are in my honorable mentions. So Shakespeare Code, Tooth and Claw, Girl in the Fireplace, all made my honorable mentions. So, I will say the same for you. So good, good picks. <laughs> Silence in the library. Um, do no, you didn't say Doomsday. Never mind. I didn't so say Doomsday, but it's in my it, it's the other one in my honorable mentions. Yeah, Silence in the library and the end of time are in my honorable mentions. Okay, how many uh, honorable mentions do you have? I limited myself to five, six if you include Forest of the Dead because it's a two-parter and both of those episodes are awesome and I just had to include both of them okay, in you my did five. I did four. Yeah. I probably should have thrown in a fifth just, just to round it out, but um, I didn't, so I only picked four. Okay. Should we uh, should we go through our honorable mentions and say why they're not in our top five? Um, yeah, I think like I'll just give my full list and just cool. to, although I kind of just said them, but Shakespeare Code, Doomsday, Tooth and Claw, and Girl in the Fireplace are my four that I I just felt that in really honestly all of them were kind of right on the edge of being in my top five. It was hard to pick, but those those were the four that I decided that would be my honorable mentions. So what are your five? Blink. Um, okay not included in the five because honestly doctor doesn't really show up in it all that yeah much. i didn't count um, honestly i thought about blink but i was like he's not in it really so, no exactly yeah. i mean you you have the solid moment where we walk away with timey wimey um mm, and true. overall it's a fun episode that introduces a really fun villain 
Um, but the doctor is not really in it. Then Silence in the Library, Forest of the Dead, all the reasons that you mentioned as far as why it's in the top five. And really my only reason for not including it is because I liked the other five probably better. Um, Doomsday. The, honestly, I rewatched it. It's not a good episode. It's not it a good episode. It really isn't. No, but it has it's an just, amazing moment. Exactly. And that's why it has to be in the honorable mentions because there's a solid moment in the last 10 minutes of it. Um, and so, yeah, it's there. Partners in Crime, again, trash episode. Um, for the most part, it's comical, it's goofy, not trash. I can't say it's trash, but you get the really, really, really fun interaction where the doctor's looking through the window and Donna's looking through the window of the door and they're like mouthing to each other the mm, entire time. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of it, you have Donna unlo- uh, unpacking her trunk, giving the doctor all her bags. Um, <laughs> and the doctor just lo- stands there looking dejected. And then Donna melts because she doesn't think the doctor wants her to come with him. Um, so there are some solid moments in it, but a goofy o- a- episode overall. And then the end of time, just because there were, okay. to me, to me, it comes down to a moment. And I wanted to include episodes that, for the most part, I could ride with them the entire time and stay entirely engaged and entertained. And the end of time, it comes down to solid moments, but not necessarily a great episode overall. Yeah, that's fair. Fair assessment. So I think, if I'm remembering correctly, that considering how many episodes have David Tennant, it's kind of crazy how close ours are. Yeah. Uh, especially really considering that you and I tend to have, can have very differing opinions on what in Doctor Who entertains us. So I guess when it comes down to it, we, we do like the same things, um, maybe for different reasons. But I think the only ones that, I think all of mine are in your list. Yeah. Um, and I think m- most of yours are, except for Blink and... Um, yeah. What was the one you were just talking about? The Adipose? Part, oh, Partners in Crime. Partners in Crime. Yeah. yeah. I think I think those two I don't have, but I think you have all mine. Can I get your thoughts on some that I expected to see okay. on your list? Yeah. Turn left. Uh, it wasn't notable enough for me in that I was trying to really think about the ones that I like to, to watch a lot. And that one just, it just wasn't, it didn't stick out to me. Okay. When I okay. went through my initial kind of, I, I weeded out really quick. I was just like, okay, I'm just going to grab the titles that really stand out to me. And that one just didn't make it. Okay. The Unicorn and the Wasp. Okay. That, if I had to add another, so if I was going to add a fifth, like you have five honorable mention, it might be that. Um, just recently rewatched it and really fun episode. Okay. Uh, fear Her. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I literally knew you were joking when you said that. <laughs> uh, those, I, those honestly were the only two that I really expected to have you mention at some point were, were Turn Left and The Unicorn and the Wasp. You called it on Unicorn and the Wasp. So that one, that's a good call. Turn Left, probably, I, I don't think I like as much as maybe you think. Okay. Um, but Doomsday, I, I can't not, you know, because we talked about Doomsday and just saying it had a, a, a moment. But that is one of the best moments in Doctor Who. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When he comes back to Bad Wolf Bay as a hologram, and he says, I'm burning up a star to say goodbye. Yeah. And just that interaction between him and Rose, it's it's one of my favorite moments in Doctor Who. So 
that's why it made my honorable mentions, even though the rest of the episode really isn't that great. Yep. Um, and it, it does set kind of the tone for future interactions with those characters and uh, Bad Wolf just being kind of a ongoing theme through a lot of the early Doctor stuff was kind of cool that they tie that in and then she comes back in the 50th anniversary um you know as bad wolf herself yeah. personified so yeah i i thought that was just such a powerful moment and we just also to let listeners know that the 50th anniversary was off the table i took it off the table i asked hardcore. i asked adam if that we could include that and he just gave me a straight up no because i guess yep. that's not a tenant episode that's a multi-doctor episode so exactly i'm not counting that as a tenant episode although he is featured very strongly at the very beginning and throughout right so so no specials made your top five either no specials no specials made my top five and that is something that i wrestled with a two, lot two made mine even a christmas special made mine i know so i know all right well that was i mean I don't know if we have much more to say. I think uh, it lined up a lot more than I expected. We kind of shifted around a little bit, but overall, we sounds like we kind of copacetic on this one. Yeah, I again, like looking at the list, though, there are so many others that it's like I don't think you could go wrong with them. Um, I think there's a bit of a th- like when I look through the list that I have. For me, it comes down to some key elements, and it's not across all of them, but some of the key elements that really seem to stand out when I look at the ones I picked and versus the ones I didn't is I kind of shy away from the ones that are heavy, super heavy sci-fi, like go into the future, yeah. you know, some of that type of stuff where they're on a space station or something like that, unless it has a connection to going back in time, like, like Girl in the Fireplace, where they're on a spaceship, but they're also going back into the you know, 17th or 18th century, I think it was. Um, so, you know, I look down through my list and a lot of them, you know, Family of Blood, Fires of Pompeii, Shakespeare Code, Tooth and Claw, Girl in the Fireplace, they're all historical connection, you know? Yeah. So I think that, and then also just having that really intimidating villain, I think helps too. Yep. So I think there's, when I look kind of at the consistencies of, of what makes up the list that I have. That's, that's what stands out to me. Yeah. I mean, now that you mention it, all five of my top five go back in time. Not a single one of them is from present day or future. Oh, look um, at you. Fireplace, See? tooth and claw, Shakespeare code, family of blood and the fires of Pompeii, all historical episodes. You're um, more, wow. And I'm supposed to be the guy that's into the historical stuff. I know. Right. Um, I mean, when you get to my honorable mention, yeah, none of them are. Um, but the top five definitely are. And then, like I said, like I tried to, I specifically looked for the episodes where I was engaged the entire time. Um, it wasn't just made up of moments, but it was one of those episodes that it was from start to finish. Um, I was plugged in and maybe that is that historical aspect of it that, that snags you and keeps you from start to finish. Um, but yeah, you can't go wrong with a David Tennant episode. And so we said we were going to talk about this, and I didn't. I for, kind of forgot. So I, we're probably running a little long on time, but maybe we can just kind of leave this in. Um, on remember when I had said that after watching some David Tennant episodes to prepare for this, it solidified by far how much more I like him than Matt Smith. Yeah, yeah. So how do you feel? I think because you you were kind of questioning that now that you've done a little bit more 
deep dive into the David Tennant library recently. What do you think? I, I'm right there with you. I, Tennant hits differently. Like he really does as the doctor. Um, he has dramatic highs and dramatic lows. He runs the entire range of emotions as the doctor. I mean, we talked about a family of blood playing an entirely different character as the teacher at the school. And yet he does it so dang well. And then at the end of the episode, he goes full on dark before he walks up to Martha and he's just like joking around with her again. Um, he is a solid, solid, solid doctor. Um, doctor who really lucked out when they pulled David Tennant in as the doctor, because I, I think it's him. I think it's entirely him. Um, I don't think it's the writing. I think it is just David Tennant that makes the doctor so strong for the 47 episodes that he started. Yeah. I think for me, I was trying to think about why, you know, he stands out to me as my favorite. And I think it might be that he's just the most relatable of the doctors as far as him being more human. I think that, you know, Smith got a little bit too kind of goofy that just didn't seem real. Didn't seem like anybody I know acts like that. You know, that's, you know, it's an act. Um, and Capaldi was very, you know, I, I really liked Capaldi, but he was, you know, he kind of had that detached way about him, you know, kind of referred to humans in a very negative way a lot and didn't seem like he maybe had as much compassion for even the people he was close with, not just the people he would come up against, but just the people that were around him. Um, and then Jodie Whittaker to me seems very alien. You know, she just, she plays the doctor as not human, um, which is fine. Yeah. But Tennant always kind of felt like he's, he's just a very, he's as close to human as you can be. And even the emotions that he struggles with, and, you know, the fact that he even had an attachment like he had with Rose, you don't see that with the other doctors. Um, and him kind of getting, you know, even other uh, characters that he met along the way, you know, where he has Madame Pompadour or the yeah. the woman he met, um, you know, when he was Smith. You know, there's other characters, too, not just Rose, that he kind of had this emotional connection with that you don't really see the other doctors do that. So I don't know. I think, like, for me, he was just... He was pretty much my first. I know Eccleston kind of was, you know, he was the first one I watched, but Tennant was really what I would consider kind of the doctor that really solidified the show for me. So Yeah. No, yeah. it's so, so good. Um, just, I mean, it was stressful. It was anxiety-inducing trying to go through and rewatch these episodes. Um, but I enjoyed every single episode that I made my way through. Um, I'm sure all the listeners that we have that are big, like Matt Smith fans and are kind of over David Tennant, they're like, seriously guys, like stop gushing all over, you know, <laughs> well, just, we're fanboying all over the and place. We'll do our Matt Smith listen through. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, you know, we talked, you know, Eccleston's kind of back in the news. There's some opportunity to maybe, you know, dig back into his library a little bit, not as many to go through, um, you know, and Smith and, you know, we'll, we'll have, we'll have time to talk about other doctors, but I, I think it's, it's fair that we do a full on David Tennant episode. So I'm glad we had a chance to kind of dig deep into his library and, and kind of discuss some of these episodes that we started our podcast after his run. So we never really have had a chance 
to kind of maybe talk about some of these episodes um, in this much detail. Yeah, absolutely. I, oh, man, part of me wants to like pause on one of these episodes and do a full on review of it, but that's for a different time. Yeah, maybe someday we'll pick. Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll be mentioning these episodes again in the future. Um, but for now, I think we're good on this episode. And like we said, definitely check out David Tennant's podcast. David Tennant does a podcast with. Um, but also you can find our podcast in the same places. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty sure you'll be able to find Bad Wolf Radio. Uh, you can find our whole back library if you're just now discovering us. We have a whole library of like 100 other episodes. Uh, <laughs> and you can also find us on Twitter at Bad Wolf Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Bad Wolf Radio. We also have a Facebook group. Uh, so check that out. Some really fun conversation going with, going along with some of our more loyal listeners that talk to us a lot. Um, and you can always send us an email, badwolfpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, you'll like this bit. You'll like this bit. You'll like this bit. That's what he says before he climbs into TARDIS and de- dematerializes with Latimer watching. I was hoping you would say, this is my five game. <laughs> this is That's David Tennant's best attempt to do like a western accent oh man yeah. there's, there's so many random things that are said like okay so we we listened to uh, or we watched the um, dang what was that the theme park episode that we just watched oh I think I know what you're going to say what am I going to say you're going to say about the cowboys yeah, what's up with that? Yeah, I picked up on that too when he he's in Adam Pompadour's head and he says we've There's had a lot of cowboys in here. Yeah, and then that's the same line that the um the cyborg guy says to the doctor. Yeah, it gets said like two or three times in the uh Girl in the Fireplace episode and then it gets said in, in the episode with the theme park rides. Yeah, I kind of wondered if that was a callback a per- a purposeful callback in the Matt Smith episode back to the David Tennant episode, or if that's just a common phrase that is just both writers t- just used. So I don't yeah. know if, you know, but I did pick up on that cause we had just watched the, uh, the nightmare in silver episode. So yeah. Yeah. Totally threw me off. Totally threw me off when they started saying that. And then it was like, Oh dang, like, is that, is there like some classic, classic references there that i'm not picking up on but um, we'll have to google it i'm sure there's some explanation somewhere as to why that's important yeah somebody's written a whole paper on it actually here you are doctor who 10 things you may not know about the girl in the fireplace is it in there uh it does mention that there be cowboys in here um it would help if i searched correctly (laughs) Cowboys, uh, dear me, you, uh, dear me, had some cowboys in here. Got a ton of repair work going on. Then uses the phrase as he scans Renette's mind. The phrase always said with a disapproving sigh is a British idiom as used by builders and car mechanics alike. Ah, so it is the latter. It's, it's just a, an idiom. It's an idiom that we didn't pick up on because we're Americans. Because we're American. Yeah, but, but still, you know, you don't. I, I don't remember hearing that. A lot in Doctor Who. Hmm. So I think that the fact that it's used while he's in her brain and then while the, you know, Cyberman is in the Doctor's brain, you know, kind of this whole like, yeah. 
I think maybe that was a purposeful callback to that line, even I though guess it is he's, a common line. I guess he says it in the 11th hour, too. Really? Interesting. He phrases, the phrase appears again out of the mouth of the 11th doctor as he pokes around Amelia Pond's bedroom looking at the crack in her wall. Well, there you go. So we just didn't pick up on it because we're Americans. We yeah. Didn't, we didn't know the idiom. Ah, there's another episode that I was surprised didn't get mentioned. The Doctor's Daughter. Ah, did rewatch that one just to double check, but I think nah. the bubbly, bubbly liquid aliens threw me off. 